This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Carl Denham and Co. Productions. Now previewing Kong, the eighth wonder of the world, only on Broadway. Get your tickets today. You won't want to miss it. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's a Kong week on Pod Cemetery. A double feature, even. The late night double feature, feature show. With 1933's King Kong, the OG, and 2017's Kong Skull Island, the newest remake or initial installment in a Kong franchise. Could we have done the 2005 version of Kong? Yes, we absolutely could have, but don't worry. There are more remakes. We could do another double feature of initial installments in the Kong franchise. Uh, We will get to those eventually. But before we talk about the movies this week, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Horror trivia. Give me what you got. Name five horror movies that use only practical visual effects, no CGI. Huh. Well, King Kong. Yep, that's a, that's even listed on the back. Bram Stoker's Dracula. Is the Babadook all practical? I doubt it. I feel like it might be all practical. I'm sure there's something in there. The Exorcist? Mm-hmm. Okay, can't do any other Exorcist movies. Hmm. Five movies? Oh, what was the one that we did... Phantom Carriage. Mm-hmm. It uses double exposure, but it's practical. How many have I done so far? I don't know. Four. Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yep. Okay. What does it say on there? An American Werewolf in London. Oh, ooh, that's a good one. The Thing. Uh-huh. Hatchet. I guess. King Kong. Uh-huh. Day of the Dead. Well, why not Night of the Living Dead? There are billions. Right. I was sitting why? here and I was just like, Hellraiser. <laughs> yes, we've just gone over this, though, Kelsey. <laughs> when you're put on the spot and you got to think of specific ones, it's a lot harder. All right, Kelsey. Yeah. You're probably going to have to guess on this one. Okay. How many live action King Kong films are there? Oh, I have no idea. There's tons. What if I was to tell you that it's a single digit? Do you mean just only Kong, like not against anything? No, I mean live action King Kong movies. As in not, there are like three animated films. And then there are animated TV shows and not animated. Unless you'd mean stop motion, which is practical animation. They're in the sing. it's a single digit? Single digits. How many can you think of right now? So you know it'll be at least that number. I would guess seven. 
There are nine. Just barely single digits. There is King Kong from 33, which is what we're about to talk about. Then nine months later, still in 1933, Son of Kong. They rushed out a sequel that had some of the original actors in it. 1962's King Kong versus Godzilla, which was the third King Kong movie that was produced by Toho, the Godzilla folks. And then they produced a second one in 1967, King Kong Escapes. Then the first remake from 1976, King Kong. Then King Kong Lives in 1986. Then Peter Jackson's remake, King Kong, in 2005. Then Kong Skull Island, which we're also going to talk about today. And then Godzilla vs. Kong, which came out just recently. So there are only nine King Kong live-action movies that I know of, like in the core franchise. If somebody made a knockoff King Kong movie that they didn't have the rights to or something like that, not included on this list. But, yeah, nine of them. Hmm. And four of them are origin stories, or like, you know, the first story in it. So we could do another double feature. That brings us into the movie we're going to talk about first, our classic film, 1933's. King Kong, directed by Marion C. Cooper and Ernest B. Shodsack, with a screenplay by James Ashmore Creelman and Ruth Rose, based on a story by Marion C. Cooper, Leon Gordon, and Edgar Wallace, from an idea conceived by Marion C. Cooper and Edgar Wallace, starring Fay Ray, Robert Armstrong, and Bruce Cabot. What is King Kong about? A filmmaker has decided to make... He always makes, like, jungle adventure movies, and he has heard tell of a rumor of Skull Island or Skull Mountain. Skull Mountain, yes. Skull Mountain. And he wants to go and make a movie about Kong, who he heard about from a sailor. It's stupid. And (laughs) they go, and things go poorly. Fair. I think we all know the general gist of King Kong. The movie is available with subscriptions to HBO Max, DirecTV, and Watch TCM. You can rent it on most services for $3 and buy for 8 to 11 plus, you know, YouTube. It's a movie from 1933. You can just watch it on YouTube. <laughs> but the version matters, actually. We'll talk about that, but it was re-released in the late 30s, in like 1938 or something like that, and had a lot of scenes taken out of it. To fit with, I think it was the Hayes Code at the time. And it wasn't until a later re-release, decades later, that they added scenes back in. One of which is still lost to time, and we will never see the original version of it. We'll talk about that a little bit. But yeah, if you watch the the one that's on most streaming services now, you're probably getting the one with all those scenes reinserted. Uh, a lot of home video releases also had different versions of these scenes. Like, there's a lot of variation between them. So we watched the one on HBO Max, uh, if you're curious. If you want to make sure you see the same one we did, that's where we watched it. Should people watch 1933's King Kong? Yes. 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 It's good. It is good. It's long. It is long. It has a lot going on, but it is... Packed with stuff. It's, it's, okay, like, let's address the elephant in the room. Uh Uh-huh. It's racist. There's some racist stuff going on here, yeah. Yes, there's, it's certainly racist. I wouldn't go so far as to say, like, you know, the beast represents black people or whatever, which some people have said. 
It's got some stereotypical portrayals of black people, native sort of thing going on for it. Yes, it does not paint. It is insulting. And there's an Asian character that's insulting. Oh, my God. (laughs) Charlie? Yeah. Oh, my God. He was one of the characters that they brought back for the second one for Son of Kong. And uh, I wrote down Charlie peeling potatoes. Oh, no. (laughs) The movie is very affectionate towards him. Yeah. Like the filmmakers, apparently the cast loved him, too. They really liked him. And that's why they brought him back. And and in general, the movie portrays him in a positive light. But Jesus. Ocean very nice when you order weather or some eggs for breakfast. The only thing worse that they could have done is cast Mickey Rooney. I feel. <laughs> but other than that, it's good. I mean, it is it is very much of its time. Of course. But it's a technical marvel of its time. Yes, and this was when they made sets, and the sets are great. Uh Uh-huh. And this is when they really took their time with the story, and they really tried very hard with their special effects. Yes. They do some pretty incredible stuff in this movie. And it's an an adventure story, and if you like adventure stories, it's fun to watch. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1933's King Kong. We're millionaires, boys. I'll share it with all of you. Why, in a few months, we'll be up in lights on Broadway. Kong, the eighth wonder of the world! Wild, weird, wonderful. The stuff for which movies were made. Adventure, to make you wonder if it's true, while your eyes convince you that it is. Truly, the thrill of thrills. Don't miss it this time. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does King Kong begin? Four minutes and 15 seconds worth of overture. That's how it begins. Yes, the overture is played. <laughs> I'll never understand why. I, I guess it's just because they thought. That's how like plays We are do done. it in plays. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we might as well do it in movies. And then there's the credits. Again, credits at the beginning of the movie was very, very common. Trailers at the end. That's why they were called trailers. Yes. So they were flipped around. But in the character list. In the cast list, it ends with and King Kong, the eighth wonder of the world, as if he's a cast member. Awesome. Yeah. We get a quote saying that beauty killed the beast. And lo, the beast looked upon the face of beauty and it stayed its hand from killing. And from that day, it was as one dead. Old Arabian proverb, which it absolutely is not. It was just 100% made up by Marion Cooper. Cool. Marion Cooper, by the way, who previously cut his teeth in filmmaking doing the sort of like out there crazy location documentaries and video journalism that he did the director character carl denham is is kind of an analog for cooper so says fay ray by the way ah yes fay ray she spoke highly of him and said that he was different from the hollywood set oh isn't that nice? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. She's like, I don't want to speak down on on Hollywood types, but he was he was different. 
<laughs> he was unique. Um, he had a background of journalism, for one thing, and uh, uh, he had gone out to remote places to make fascinating documentary films. He was not a Hollywood person, per se. I don't want to put Hollywood people down, but he was different. So we open on this big ship. We find out that it's a crazy voyage with a crazy guy. With a huge crew that he doesn't need and cargo that nobody understands. Yes. This exposition at the beginning, some guy just shows up and is like, what's going on here? Yeah, exactly. Just how else do we get this information to the audience? Uh Uh-huh. And then we get to meet Carl Denham, and he's awesome. He's a lot of fun. Yes, he is. And he's definitely the best actor. You think? You don't think so? I guess probably, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Faye Ray overacts. She's great, though. Yeah. I love and her. Gorgeous. I love her fear. Yeah. She does great fear. But when she's the love, like, the romance is very, she's over the, the top. The, oh, and Jack Driscoll. Oh, he's terrible. <laughs> he's real bad. Bruce Cabot, yeah. He has a great line. Say, I guess I love you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Say, I guess I love you. Say. I guess I love you. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Um, But (laughs) Carl Denham is great. He's full of energy and just excited and fun. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've got to get there before the monsoon. Um, There's only one Carl Denham. But this casting agent won't give him any girls to take because this is just way too dangerous you won't tell us where you're going why you're going there she'd be one woman and a crew of men this is very dangerous Uh uh-huh so he's like fine i'll go get my own girl he just goes out on the street the night before to look for a woman and finds one so he goes to a home like a shelter for women and he doesn't like what he finds and then he's just walking and this woman who happens to be gorgeous uh-huh. and doesn't have any family and uh, has no money and destitute and no friends. And willing to do anything. And that's Fay Ray, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, and he just <laughs> takes her. Now, she does She does give a little bit of, I don't know about this. And he says, I promise you, no funny business. Yeah, oh, oh, well, you promise then. Okay. Yeah. But he does introduce himself as Carl Denham. And she's like, yeah, I've heard of you. And, you know, he has no proof he's Carl Denham. Right. Trust me and keep your chin up. Yes. So she does. She goes. This is her chance to break out and make it big. Fuck yeah. (laughs) Go on an adventure. (laughs) So they go. And the first mate, I guess? Is he the first mate? I guess he's the first mate, Jack Driscoll. No, well, because there's a captain. Okay. I don't know the hierarchy on a ship. There's Captain Anglehorn. He leads the crew and he is the captain of the ship. And Jack is sort of his, I guess, his first mate. Okay. And he doesn't like women. He's all about getting things done and women get in the way. He hits her. <laughs> yeah, he totally hits her in the face on Not accident. on purpose, not on purpose. But yeah, he totally hits her in the face. And he's like, what are you doing out here? And she's like, oh, well, he wanted to get some camera time with me to see which side of my face is better. And he goes, both sides of your face look good to me. Uh-huh. And it's the start of a romance. Uh-huh. That over the course of six weeks or two months or whatever it is, 
They've fallen in love. Hey, it's the 30s and he risked his life for her. He has earned her. Yes. Because <laughs> that's how it works. Yes. But she seems amenable, you know? Like, she's not... She likes him. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> so we find out from Denim, as they finally are getting near to the... Or they've hit the the latitudes, where uh-huh. he said, "If when you get me here, I'll tell you what's going on. And then we get another exposition dump, and it is astounding how much information they got out of a dying man. Yes. You want to tell us what they learn? Well, he drew a map. Yes. Saying that... Not being able to speak English, they yes. were able to get all of this information. That there's this island, it's, it has Skull Mountain on it, there's yeah. a tribe that lives there, they worship map. a king, and that is this giant beast... Uh, oh, and you believe him? Yeah, I believe him. Why? <laughs> Just so much information uh-huh. from this dying man that they found. And here's where it lies in the ocean. And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous, but it's fun. And he says, ever hear of Kong? And for some reason, they've all heard of yeah, Kong. They've all heard of Kong. He's a he's a old wives tale, sort of, you know, an old sailor's tale, I guess. I guess. I love when... She, Feyre, asks him about his cameraman. Ever since uh, a man ruined my shot of a rhino. Yes, charging towards him. And I I told them to keep filming. Damn fool, I had a gun. (laughs) And he ran away. You always take the pictures yourself? Ever since the trip I made to Africa, I don't got a swell picture of a charging rhino, but the cameraman got scared. (laughs) That darn fool, I was right there with a rifle. Seems he didn't trust me to get the rhino before it got him. I haven't fooled with cameraman sense to do it myself. Ever since then, I've cranked my own camera, which sounds dirty. Yes. And he's filming her up on the deck, and he's telling her to look absolutely terrified. And that's when the first mate is like, what's he think she's really going to see? Yeah, uh-huh. Which is a great line. Mm-hmm. Now, Anna, this one you're looking down. When I start to crank... You look up slowly. You're quite calm. You don't expect to see a thing. Then you just follow my directions. All right? Camera. Look up slowly, Ann. That's it. You don't see anything. Now look higher. Still higher. Now you see it. You're amazed. You can't believe it. Your eyes open wider. It's horrible, Anne, but you can't look away. There's no chance for you, Anne. No escape. You're helpless, Anne. Helpless. There's just one chance. If you can scream, but your throat's paralyzed. Try to scream, Anne. Cry. Perhaps if you didn't see it, you could scream. Throw your arms across your eyes and scream, Anne. Scream for your life. What's he think she's really going to see? I was fascinated by that scene where he's just giving her direction and she's just acting it out like it was enthralling. I I actually really liked that scene. She screams and it's, wow, man, wonderful. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what acting is. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. But so they get really close to where they think the island is and confound this fog. Yep. (laughs) They can't get through it. 
And this is when they tell Charlie, why can't you make your soup as thick as this? Yeah. But they end up going there. They end up getting to the island. Mm -hmm. They can hear that they're doing some sort of ceremony. And of course, the white man says they're up to their heathen tricks. Oh, God. Yep. Mm -hmm. We see that they are preparing a woman to be sacrificed to Kong. Did you get the idea that she was chill with that or no? I got the impression that it's supposed to be a great honor and yet nobody actually wants it. Right. Sure. That was the impression that I got. She's being dressed up as like Kong's bride. Yeah, exactly. It probably means you're the most beautiful one Uh of this crop. Like, I don't know how often they do this. Do they do it once a year? Do they do it every 10 years? Every generation? Maybe. She didn't exactly look happy. Uh (laughs) But she wasn't like being held down or at, you know, weapon point or whatever. I think she knows that... (laughs) This is just the way it's done? What's she going to fucking do? (laughs) She's on an island. Where is she going to (laughs) go? But when the natives see them, they get very upset. Uh, And of course, one of the people just happens to know their language. The captain does. These people that have never encountered anyone off their island before. He says it sounds like a form of some other language that he knows. So he can figure it out. Yeah. Amazing linguist on uh-huh. this on this ship. He has to go to a bunch of places and speak a bunch of languages. That's their logic. That's true. They explain that you have ruined the ceremony by being here. Your presence has ruined it. So we want the golden woman that's yes. with you. Uh-huh. And of course, the skipper's like, we're getting you the fuck out of here. Because he's in love with her. Uh-huh. Say, I think I love you. <laughs> God. So they get her back up on the ship. Everyone goes back. They think they're safe, but they are not. No. And it's great because the natives just happen to get up on the exact part of the ship where the woman is all by herself. Yep. Perfectly timed. And they just happen to, you know, she doesn't bite them. She doesn't scream. She doesn't hit things. She just, they just take her. Lucky for them. Yeah. At some point before that, like in between when he tells her he loves her and when she gets taken by the natives, there's some things that happen on deck. And at one point, somebody says, yes, sir, and gives the weirdest, creepiest smile. And they just sit on him for a second. And I was like, (laughs) what is this shot? It's a little weird. Yeah. I don't remember exactly what they were talking about. Then we get to see... Uh, amazing set of the island of how they've got this whole thing set up for her to be given to Kong. Yeah. And the door with the with the bar. Yeah. It's such a great the set. The gong. This is back when sets fucking mattered. Nowadays, it's all CG and nobody cares. Apparently, that village where the natives lived was already an existing set from a movie the year prior bird of paradise. And the wall is, is a Cecil B. DeMille set. Of course it is uh, from King of Kings from 1927. Love it. I love it. I wish we did sets. That was one of those. Do you care all about sets? Oh, totally. That's one of those giant sets that were set up in Los Angeles, you know, before they started building all the highways everywhere and, they just did giant Cecil B. DeMille film sets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
It's fun because when we saw her on the deck, we saw her give a pretty decent performance of being afraid. Yeah. And then I loved that she held back there. So so it could be even bigger when she actually sees Kong? Yes. It's fantastic. Uh Uh-huh. I love it. Kong's roar. A lion and a tiger combined at different speeds and then reversed. That's fun. Yeah. Now, how would you describe Kong? Do you think they did a good job? Yeah, I'd say yes. Especially with what they were working with at the time. Uh, They describe him as as big as a house, which sounds big at the time, but when we see him compared to all the other Kongs that have been in movies, he's like the smallest one. He's like some about 20 feet tall. And it varies throughout the movie, too, depending on what he's standing next to. You're like, oh, well, if he's, you know, basically two stories tall here, he's about 20 feet or so. Um, But then against this thing, which we know is this tall, then he must be so... A little bit inconsistent there. He has rabbit fur. That's what his fur is. It's rabbit fur. Um, But he looks good. Yeah, I think he looks very good. I wish they had toned down on the face, the facial expressions. Especially when he gets to New York and all the faces inside the windows and stuff like that with his <laughs> eyes. It looks a little goofy. Exactly. Uh, I just wish they had just toned it down just a tiny bit. Because what they were able to do for that time is very impressive. And I thought it did look good. And it just sucks that a couple times when you get up on, like, straight up on his face and he's moving his eyes around, it can look a little goofy. Yeah. And yeah, I really wish he was way bigger than he is. It's was, really disappointing he, how it small is, he yeah. is. <laughs> but that's Willis O'Brien is the guy that um, did the stop motion animation. Figure he should get credit here. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's basically King Kong. So then, of course, everyone has to go and save Fay Ray. So they all, the whole ship's crew goes, or at least most of them. And they encounter a lot of creatures. Yep. They encounter dinosaurs uh-huh. and water creatures. Uh-huh, like a brontosaurus. And yeah, it's it's mainly like dinosaur-themed creatures. There's a great scene when they throw these smoke bombs that Denim has been taking with him and not explaining why uh, at this, I think it was a triceratops, and it knocks it out, and then they walk around it. Like, how fucking clever is that? But really, it's just them walking slowly around rear projection where the camera was moving around to make it look like they were physically. I love it. But that's pretty advanced for the type of technology that, like, that's an advanced maneuver for that. Uh, It was really cool. And they shoot it. Um, The brontosaurus eating some of the men in the water. That was one of the scenes that was taken out. The brontosaurus is in it, but him, like, eating them. That was one of the ones that was taken out. Whenever they they have a person in stop motion, it looks kind of silly. The humans that they have in stop motion. I don't know if you've ever seen like Moral Oral or any of those sorts of like claymation style. That's how they look like their limbs aren't sized properly. They're not proportioned correctly. I love it, though. But it's 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 fascinating. It is. Yes. And like this is where I start to write all of my oh my gods. Uh huh. The scream of the one killed in the tree was amazing. Uh These screams were just fantastic. Um, 
and it's then we see like King Kong being way too small. We see so many people fall to their deaths, and they're all amazing. They're like the second guy that screams is so good, and then when they all hit the ground, their screams immediately stop, and it's so funny. And I know that's what would be real, but it's just so funny. Uh And is that um, when they're when they're tossed off the log? I think so. So. So there's a triceratops coming up on them from one end and then King Kong on the other end. And all these men are stuck on this log. Meanwhile, John Driscoll climbs off and and like climbs down a vine and, and lands on a ledge there. Well, not before a weird ass creature climbs up the wall and cuts off his vine. No, he cuts off the vine of oh. that creature. Oh, so yes. the creature doesn't attack him. Weird looking thing. Did you notice, though, so apparently for budgetary reasons, like, uh, they pinched every penny they could on this movie. And one of the things they did is for that creature, they only gave it two legs. That creature has the, has a design. It's kind of like this sort of, like, lizard-type creature with only two legs, and then the rest is a tail, very snake-like. It's basically a skull crawler from Skull Island. Yeah. So I, like I they, see they that. took that design from that thing, but yeah. So he's standing there watching as Kong is like rocking this log to get these guys off of it, and yes, they all fall down into this canyon, and just it's just these just stuffed puppets just dropped, patunk. <laughs> and the screams are so good. Uh-huh. Down there, they were supposed to. Some of them were supposed to live, and they're supposed to fight like a crab monster and a spider monster. According to Marion Cooper, in their first screening, people were terrified and they just kept talking about it throughout the movie. So he decided, take it out. But according to people who allegedly were there for those early screenings, they were like, it looked ridiculous and nobody took it seriously and everyone was laughing. So that's why they took it out. But when they edited all these scenes out, they didn't save the original reels. So they found original canisters but it was after that scene was taken out so we still don't have that scene and we never will peter jackson recreated it using some of the original models which is really really interesting and it's on the special features of the 2005 king kong version that's cool Mm -hmm. then we get to see an amazing fight between king kong and a t-rex oh it's so it's a t-rex yes we have a t-rex it's like a res- it's like a wrestling yes a wrestling match. So, apparently the two directors, Marion Cooper and Ernest Shodsack, had been wrestlers and so they choreographed this fight that using their own bodies and Willis the animator used when he animated that fight. He used that as like the key it's a lot of fun. I love when they, like, when Kong would, I don't know what you would call that, like a somersault, I guess. He'd pull him into it and they'd roll. And, sure, yeah. Uh-huh. And the sounds are wonderful. Uh-huh. Oh, and how does he kill him, Kelsey? He kills the T-Rex. So he ends up pulling his jaw apart. Uh-huh. And when he's done, he, like, flaps it around to make sure that it's dead. It's oh. great. And then they don't do it in Kong Skull Island, and they could have. No, they did it in Peter Jackson's. Still. Yeah. 
still. It's a, it's an amazing moment, and they should use it in every Kong movie. <laughs> yes, exactly. <coughs> uh, I wrote down this fight is absolutely hilarious. Uh-huh. Makes sure he's dead, LMAO. <laughs> and then I wrote down, oh my god, another creature? Jeez, Kong's life is fucking rough. Yes, he's constantly fighting things. There's just creature after creature, guys. But when he when he fucks him up, he roars. But he grabs his bride again. Yeah, there's a cool transition there. There are a lot of these transitions from stop motion where there's a puppet in the model's hand to actually Fay Ray leaving his hand that are that are obvious but still very clever. I could have done without him tearing off her clothes. So that's one of the famous scenes that was removed uh, because of the Hayes Code. It just seems like, why would he? Would he? Well, number one, it's provocative for the viewers. But then the Hayes Code, which I think was 34, came out. So when they re-released it in 38, they had to take certain scenes out. And that's one of them. But it's a great example where they do kind of a reverse rear projection. So what will happen in most of the scenes, like the one where they walk around the Stegosaurus, I think is that first one, maybe. They walk around its body. The stop motion is filmed first. They project it onto a screen and then the actors act in front of it so they can react in real time to what's going on. This is the reverse of that. And we've seen it before. We saw it in, I think it was Dream Warriors, we saw it. I'm pretty sure we saw some more of this in Army of Darkness, where instead they film the live action stuff first, and then they advance the live action frame by frame, and the stop motion animators animate in front of that rear projection. So it's it's a reverse of the classic concept that's really easy to do. And so every time they advance the film one frame, they advance the model one frame, and it's really cool. And they did that with Fay Ray in a real King Kong hand. And then they did the animation of Kong over the top of that, like overlapping it. So it looks like, so that hand that she's in is like life size. And the Kong that they're animating doesn't have an arm. And it's just overlapping that. And then he like smells his fingers. Does he? Yeah, which is which is a little weird. But yeah, they took it out because it was too sexy, too sexy. Okay, I get I get why they would want that. It just doesn't Why would he Why would he? Why wouldn't he? He's a curious monkey. Well, He's if not he tried monkey, to rip off her ape. clothes and he with those giant fingers, wouldn't he yeah. like end up ripping off her skin? Yeah, probably. John Driscoll and and Darrow Bruce Cabot and Faye Ray, they end up falling off this cliff and into the water and she still has her costume ripped here. And so like he's pulling her and her boobs are practically falling out in that scene. Uh, but that stayed in. Here comes her love to save the day. Oh yeah, he survived everything. <laughs> of course he did. Because he's his love on his side. Uh-huh. But before he can get to her... There's a pterodactyl. That's up there on that mountaintop when he tears off her clothes. And so Kong has to fight this pterodactyl. So that's when he goes to get Fei Ray. 
Is when he's fighting the pterodactyl, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. So, oh yes, that's right. He's able to climb up this enormous... Cliff? Cliff on a vine. He's able to not only pull himself all the way up, but then he's also able to carry her down with him. Well, he's going to. But he can't because Kong ends up pulling them back up. So they end up just dropping into the water. Uh Uh-huh. Which I would have done... Way before he pulled us up as high as he did, Uh but sure. So Driscoll has just stolen Kong's bride, and he's not having any of it. So they make it back to the village where they run into Denim and, and some more of the crew and, of course, all the villagers. But Kong just comes bursting through and he breaks the gate Uh, That was supposed to keep him in there. Yeah, that gate wasn't doing shit. He destroys the village. He eats some people. Some of the scenes where people are in his mouth were taken out too. Oh my God. When the person is in the mouth, it's so funny. Uh Uh-huh. It's so good. He squashes some people for whatever reason. smashes a dude's head in. The first time I saw this movie, I I guess I must have been pretty young. That scene where he steps on someone into the mud, like just... Stuck with me over any other scene, and I don't know why. <laughs> they end up knocking him out with their gas bombs. Yeah. Because Denim's plan uh, all along was to bring him back. Uh-huh. We could just build a raft and take him back to the ship. We'll make a mint. I'll share it with all of you. He'll be out for hours. Send to the ship for anchor chains and tools. What are you going to do? I'll build a raft to float him to the ship. Why, the whole world will pay to see this. No chains will ever hold that. We'll give him more than chains. He's always been king of his world, but we'll teach him fear. We're millionaires, boys. I'll share it with all of you. Why, in a few months, it'll be up in lights on Broadway. Kong, the eighth wonder of the world! To make up for how all of your crew are dead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he he tries to stick to his word. He invites all of them to the premiere. They're all dressed up. He buys them suits. On loan, they need to pay him back. <laughs> but he does. He means it when he says, I'm going to share it with you guys. Yes. Kong, the eighth wonder of the world. Uh-huh. This was filmed at the Shrine Auditorium in L.A. So Faye Ray is there, and she's not happy to be there. It makes me think of that awful day. Gee, I wonder why. They're married now, by the way. Yes. <laughs> at least they didn't film that. And so first, Denim is speaking with the press, who nobody really knows what it is except for the people who do. Uh, The press doesn't know what it is yet. The audience doesn't know what it is yet. Uh Uh-huh. And he's telling them, he was a god, but here he's nothing. And it's just like, cool, you destroyed a creature's life. Hey, that was it, man. That was it at the time. You know, coming back with big trophies from your hunts and stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Glad you're proud. Mm-hmm. But all the flash bulbs from the pictures when he finally shows them Kong, it, all it does is make him mad. And he uh-huh. just breaks the chains, which I'm just like, dude, if you could have done that the whole time. It's the adrenaline. The anger makes him even even stronger. He's also mad because he sees Fay Ray. Yeah. Hey, that's my bride. Uh-huh. So he breaks his chains. Everybody runs out of the theater. Oh, heck of a scene. Yes. It's a fun scene. Fay Ray, of course, runs away, and somehow Kong is able to follow her to her building. Yes, and he goes looking for her, and he ends up, so he eats another man, (laughs) he puts another man in his mouth, (laughs) Uh, he ends up climbing a building, and this, oh my god, 
He finds a woman sleeping in a bed. It's in the building that apparently Fade Ray is in. Yes. And he reaches in and he pulls her out. She wakes up Being with this out by giant, giant arm, comes pulling her out, and he and he holds her above the street, upside down, and just looks at her. And she's screaming, and he's like, this isn't my bride. Yeah. And he just fucking drops her. Yeah. Terrifying. It's nuts. And then as she's falling and screaming... Her scream fades into the siren of, like, the fire trucks that are driving by. And so you never hear her stop screaming. Yeah. But she just hits the ground. (laughs) She's fucking dead. Yes. It's incredible. Another scene that was taken out. Not surprising. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, him looking through the window is amazing. With the eyes, oh, oh. yeah, it's yeah, it very much like Homer kind of, yeah. You know? uh-huh. And they've done that bit before. <laughs> he's King Kong. Oh yes, that's uh-huh. right. That's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> but so he does get Fay Ray, and despite Driscoll trying to fight him off, yes. hitting his hand with a chair, and the chair breaks. Yes, and he goes to climb. The fucking Empire State Building. Yep. Tall's building. Driscoll, meanwhile, meets up with the police forces and Denim and comes up with a great idea. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. What if we got planes? Yes, planes. (laughs) You're brilliant. You're a genius. (laughs) There's one thing we haven't thought of. What? Airplanes. If you should put a hand down and they can fly close enough to pick him off without hitting her. You're right. Planes. Call the field. We get to see these planes taking off. Poor King Kong is so sad. It is an incredibly sad moment. Mm -hmm. He just, he has nowhere else to go. And he climbs up this giant building, the tallest building in New York, which was just made. And sets her down because he has to fight off all these planes. He doesn't know what's going on and it hurts. And it's so sad. He just wants to take his bride and go. Yeah, it's so sad. <laughs> now, granted, he's not allowed to take his bride, but still, like, just it, the fact that it's an animal and doesn't know what's going on, it feels like, you know, when you see a puppy look really sad. Yeah. It feels like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think that Peter Jackson did a very good job with his uh, his interpretation. Oh, especially when he does the whole jump up and swats it out of the sky. Yes. That's really cool. We'll watch it eventually. Yes, we will. Uh, Marion Cooper is apparently one of the pilots in the planes. Oh, yeah. that's fun. But what ends up happening to poor Kong? He gets shot so much and is like, what, what am I bleeding? <laughs> and he he tries to stay there. He tries to connect to Fay Ray. Uh, he picks her up like he's going to go somewhere, but he's too weak. And he knows he's going to die, so he sets her back down again. And then he falls. It was beauty that killed the beast. Uh-huh. Like, the planes killed the beast. No. No, it was beauty. Well, Denim, the airplanes got him. Oh, no. It wasn't the airplanes. It was beauty killed the beast. If you ask... Marion Cooper, he'll say that it's technology 
destroying the natural world is the metaphor that's happening here. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that the declared metaphor is that beauty killed the beast. The the quote at the beginning is that, you know, this great destructive force is stopped by something it finds beautiful and then it ends up dying as a result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get that classic line. Driscoll climb, climbs up to the top to save Feyre. Yep. And that's the end of the movie. It just ends. Mm-hmm. So let's go over the uh, some deleted scenes real quick. I'll just run right through them. Kong eating the villagers, squashing them. The brontosaurus I said earlier, because it was a brontosaurus at the time. Now the brontosaurus doesn't exist. Remember when the brontosaurus was a thing? Uh, Kong eating the guy in New York. The pulling the sleeping woman out of the building. Pulling her clothes off. Yeah, it wasn't restored until the 70s. And then still without that spider scene. And like I said, Peter Jackson tried to recreate that spider scene in the original style using some of the original models, which you can watch on YouTube or you can, you know, buy King Kong from 05. And it's in the special features there. Apparently, when Fay Ray was in King Kong's hand and lifted up high, they'd have to film in spurts because she would like struggle Especially in that scene where he where that ended up getting cut, where he takes off her clothes and she's like struggling and kicking and stuff like that. Every time she'd do that, the grip on Kong's hand would loosen a little bit. So they'd have to stop and reset it because she was terrified she'd fall out. It made a lot of money. Not surprising. It's it's an impressive movie. Yeah. Apparently it had the biggest opening weekend ever at the time. And they've made a bunch more. Like they immediately greenlit a sequel. Got that out in nine months. They licensed it to Toho, who did Godzilla. And we got King Kong versus Godzilla, which is interesting because Toho gave first billing to King Kong for some reason. But yeah, this was also, we're getting around the time when gorillas were everywhere. Like comic books would put gorillas on their cover and they would sell like mad. So there's this kind of, there's this time in like the golden and silver age of comic books where there's just like, constant gorillas <laughs> that that the heroes are fighting against. DC even has a supervillain that's a super smart gorilla called Gorilla Grodd. <laughs> All comes from this era that was sort of sparked off by King Kong. And then people started having this fascination with giant apes. Yeah, I really like it. It's just a shame that there's, you know, a lot of racism. It's Yeah, it's a product of its time. And uh, you're going to get that. And you're, you're going to have to stomach it mm-hmm. if you want to watch it. And it's also too bad that the main guy is pretty bad actor. Yeah. He's a great hero, but he's a bad actor. Performer, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. So what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey? Like 98? 98, exactly. King Kong explores the soul of a monster, making audiences scream and cry throughout the film, in large part due to Kong's breakthrough special effects. That just means that 98% of people who reviewed it liked it Mm -hmm. but its average score on metacritic is 90 Mm -hmm. which is insane especially when you think about the like if you do a four star system and you give something three stars metacritic counts that as 75 so like that's a lot of four stars out of four stars and five stars out of five stars that you got to give it in order for it to get an average of 90 of course no cinema score cinema score i don't think started till the 70s so no cinema score on that Do you think it's overrated or underrated? I think it's overrated. Sure. 
It, it almost has to be. <laughs> but by how much? What would you give it? I'm going to give it an 84. 84? Why 84? There's just things about it that you can't really get past, you know? And that sucks. Yeah. And it certainly is a product of its time, you know? Like, even though I can marvel at what they were able to do, that doesn't mean that he his eyes aren't silly looking. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that all the creatures looked real, you know? Yeah. So, while I see that there's so much good here, there are things that I would count against it, and there are things that you can't really get past, and mm-hmm. so, yeah. I'm going to give it a 90. I agree with everything you're saying. I think I'm just giving more weight to the fact that in spite of all those bad things, it still had my attention and the entire time. And I was fascinated by so much of it. The technical achievement is very, very impressive. So because it's it's like a marvel, I guess you could say, I'll give it a 90. But very, very good. Especially for a movie from 33. Like, it, aside from all that cultural bullshit, it holds up remarkably well. And it, it, it's a fascinating lens into what, like, top-tier filmmaking was in the 30s. All right, Kelsey. That is 1933's King Kong. Before we move on, horror trivia. Name two horror movies starring Vincent Price. House of Wax. And... House on Haunted Hill. Very good. What do they say? The Mask of the Red Death. Oh. And House on Haunted Hill. Edgar Allan Poe there. Not much to that story. Well, he's also in The Fall of the House of, the, of Usher. Of Usher, Nothing yeah. happens in The Fall of House of Usher. I mean, it's a little bit more. In, in Mask of the Red Death, it's just... There's a plague going around and a bunch of rich people get together and have a party... And then death shows up. Oh. And, like, that's the story. Like, that's all that really happens in that. But it's it's a great commentary for all those celebrities have throwing parties during the pandemic. <laughs> anyway. Kelsey? Yes. I would understand if you don't know this, because they say it once in the movie, and we haven't rewatched Godzilla, which says it a few more times. But in the MonsterVerse which is what they're calling the modern franchise with Godzilla and King Kong. What does the term MUTO stand for? M-U-T-O. I'll give you a hint. Like a mutant? No, it's, a, it's an abbreviation. Oh. What does UFO stand for? Unidentified flying object. Okay, you got two of the words right there. Well, close to two of the words. You got, you got, the, you got the general structure right there. So M-U-T-O. They come from the center of the earth, and they're biological what? Organisms. And how big are they? Magnificent. Marvelous. Massive. There you go. Massive. So put it all together. M-U-T-O. Massive, unidentified, terrestrial organism. There you go. Good lord. Massive, unidentified terrestrial organism. Oh my god. <laughs> that brings us right into Kong Skull Island, the second in the Monsterverse movies after Godzilla. Directed by Jordan Vogt Roberts, 
screenplay by Dan Gilroy, Max Borenstein, and Derek Connolly, based on a story by John Gattins, based on the character created by Marion C. Cooper and Edgar Wallace, starring Tom Hiddleston, Samuel L. Jackson, Brie Larson, John C. Riley, John Goodman, and Tony Kebbell, who plays Kong. He's also the dude who has the son named Billy in the movie. He's also the husband in servant servant which the first season is pretty dang good yep we fell off the second season oh my god (laughs) why you gotta change what your entire story is about but listen to those first three names sorry four names tom hiddleston samuel l jackson brie larson and john c Riley, all of whom are in the the marvel cinematic universe who's john c Riley in the marvel universe he's in guardians of the galaxy Oh, that's right. What is Kong Skull Island about? It is about a a couple of scientists in the 70s who want to check out uncharted territory. And they get a military escort as well as a photographer as well as another scientist or a bunch of scientists. Yeah, a bunch of other scientists, yeah. And also a tracker. Yes, And they go to Skull Island in search of Kong. Well, they don't know that. Right. The scientists don't tell them why they're going there. Yeah, there there is no there is no movie crew. And instead, it's replaced by uh, John Goodman, who works for Monarch. Yes. Which is the organization that tries to track down these mutos or mutos. And he doesn't tell anybody. And they're going to drop bombs on the island to do a geological survey. Uh, But that's not really why they're dropping bombs on the island. Nope. The movie is available with subscription again to HBO Max and DirecTV, but also Sling, TNT, TBS, and True TV. You can rent it for $4 on most major services and buy it for $15. Should people watch Kong Skull Island? Yes. Yeah. I think they're both very good. It's fun. It's a blast. It's a lot of fun. It's beautifully shot it's very cliched but i don't care it's fine yeah it's it's a joy to watch it is so much fun to watch the soundtrack is great the editing is great uh the acting is superb i mean well brie larson does a little bit of overacting (laughs) in this as well i wrote down she's definitely got that superhero look into the distance Uh look down She was ready to be Captain Marvel. Uh-huh. You kind of know where everything's going. Oh, absolutely. The plot's not going to surprise you very much, but that's not really why you're here. It's... Let's be honest. It's great. Um, the biggest flaw about it is Samuel Jackson's character is a little annoying, and it's a little long. Jordan Voked Roberts will tell you, the director, he will tell you that it's a flawed movie. One of the things he calls out as being wrong with it is there's like zero character development. But that's not what it's about. You know, it's about like a fun adventure. And we're still in here in a horror story because it is still quite horrific. It's just horror with giant monsters. Mm-hmm. So there's an adventure element to it. Yeah, we. I, I think you should definitely watch it. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2017's Kong Skull Island. This island is notorious for the number of ships and planes that have gone missing. The 1954 nuclear tests weren't tests. They were trying to kill something. 
That's calm. It's king around here. It's time to show that man is king. Run! Skull Island, rated PG-13. Experience it in IMAX March 10th. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Kong Skull Island begin? It starts in 1944, the South Pacific, during World War II, with John C. Riley's character, Young, fighting against a Japanese soldier who have landed on Kong's Island, and they're fighting each other until Kong shows up. And we always see our his hands, his hands come up, and then his face, and then that's it. Mm-hmm. Then we fast forward to 1973, where we, America, are pulling out of Vietnam. John Goodman plays like a scientist who works for Monarch, which I guess is... Is it in a comic book, or is it just part of the... I don't know if it is. I think it's just how they're tying together all these organizations. You need to understand that Monarch is a is a semi-governmental organization like NASA, except their focus is on these massive, unidentified terrestrial organisms. And the prevailing theory is that the Earth is hollow... And these monsters live inside of it, which I hear, I haven't seen it yet, but I hear the new movie relies heavily upon. Like, I think at some point you go into the center of the earth. Well, I gotta say, I am curious to see it, except that it sucks that the characters that you came to really like in this movie are not in the Godzilla movies, apparently. Yeah. So that sucks. Some of the Godzilla characters are. Hmm. Well, so John Goodman is trying to convince the government to send him on this trip to the South Pacific, a place where myth and science meet. He's doing this, by the way, with Corey Hawkins, who played Dr. Dre in Straight Outta Compton. We get a story from John Goodman about why he's obsessed with monsters, but I feel like they don't give us a lot of detail, and we don't really understand what he thinks he saw. Yeah, and spoilers, John Goodman dies here anyway. Yeah. So his character is not long for this world. It's weird, though. They give him, like, this backstory that you don't really get to understand. He was, like, in a... He was in a ship, and it sank... And there was some sort of creature, but we really don't find out what the creature was. Yeah. Anyway, he asks for a military escort. And the reason he is working with this scientist, this the one who played Dr. Dre, is because he believes that the world has hollow points. Mm-hmm. He just wants to prove that for scientific reasons. Yeah, because everyone laughed at him and but I like, don't no, know I why, think I'm right. But I don't know why he, like... Well, because John Goodman was the only one who believed No, him. I understand that. I don't understand where his theory comes yes. from, why he believes this, what it means. They don't get into it at all, no. and it barely matters for this movie. Right. It matters because the skull crawlers come from the center of the earth. Yes. So that military escort will be headed by Samuel L. Jackson, who is pretty much the worst character in this movie. Absolutely no character development. Just, you kill my men, I kill you, is his entire motivation throughout the rest of the movie. I don't even 
even really think that it's because he killed his men. I think it's because he is obsessed with war. It's all his life has been about ever since he's been an adult. Uh-huh. And he's he was won, being sent home. He's and, won every war yeah. he's been involved in or something. He has a bunch of medals and shit. And now he's just being sent home before they even win the war. He said to Brie Larson. And we didn't lose the war. We abandoned it. If that gives you a frame of reference for where his mind is in terms of war. So he's very happy to have this other mission. So I feel like it doesn't really matter to him that the creatures killed his men. Right. He took his men on this trip when they were really excited to be going home in two days. I think it's more just that that's an excuse to want to kill something. Yeah. To stay at war. Yeah. But that's all his character is. His character has no regrets. It has no arc. Nothing. He does have some fun lines and a fun monologue about Icarus. He does say, hold on to your butts, which is great. Yep. At the time, there's a no smoking sign on screen, too. He has a cigarette in his mouth when he says, hold on to your butts in Jurassic Park. Yes. Hiddleston plays also a very one-dimensional character. He's, James Conrad. He's he's supposed to be like the first mate from the original King Kong Sort of, yeah. And he's just kind of this amazing tracker who worked for the British government but doesn't, but somehow Goodman knows about him. Yeah. I don't know. He's former SAS. Yes. And first scene we get it, okay, there's a lot of cliche in this, and I think that's exactly what the movie's going for, so I won't hold it against it. It's trying to be like a classic adventure big monster movie. Yes. Uh, So I won't hold that against it. But the first time we see Hiddleston as James Conrad, it's in this like bar in Bangkok or somewhere else, and he, he wins a game of pool, and somebody accuses him of cheating, and then he has to beat up a bunch of guys with the pool cue. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very cliche. Mm-hmm. Brie Larson is on this trip for some reason. So she is a photographer, and they wanted a photographer to come with them. And she's this incredible one. Like, she's up to be on the cover of Life magazine and stuff uh-huh. like that. And they wanted, she applied for the job because... She heard through the grapevine that something weird was happening. And no one will tell anybody anything specific about it. Everyone says the same thing, and that's how she knows that they're lying. Yeah. And I guess the only reason they took her on is because her name is Mason, so they thought that she was a man. Yep. Samuel Jackson does not like her because she is an anti-war photographer, and he he says that you're the one who lost us all the support back home. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, seriously, you're going to blame the person without a gun for losing the war? Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> a camera can be way more dangerous than a gun. And then later in the film, I don't think I wrote it down, but later in the film, there will be like a moment where somebody has a gun and it has the potential to kill something. And they, st- I think it might be when the giant uh, water buffalo comes up or whatever uh-huh. it is. And the guy points the gun at it, Hiddleston convinces him to put it down, and she just takes out her camera and takes Uh a picture, showing you, oh Uh yeah, it really is that much more dangerous. Yeah. They get a a brief about why or what they're going to go do on this island, and Brie Larson is like, that's some bullshit. And she even goes to Hiddleston, and she's like, do you even believe what they're saying about these bombs? And he's like, no, not really, but that's what they're claiming. They're bringing them to 
understand the Earth. Yeah, chart the island by dropping seismic charges. I just want to say that this movie is beautifully shot and edited. When they are going into the island, so there's a big storm around it, so they have to go in on these in these helicopters through mm-hmm. this bad storm. That's when Samuel L. Jackson gives his very fun monologue about Icarus mm-hmm. and how, you know, unlike Icarus, their wings are made of steel, so they won't melt. Yeah. And then they don't. And remember the story of Icarus, whose father gave him wings made of wax, warned him not to fly too close to the sun. But the exhilaration was too great, so he flew higher and higher until the sun melted his wings and he fell into the sea. But the United States Army is not an irresponsible father, so they gave us wings of white hot old gold, Pennsylvania steel, guaranteed not to melt. That whole sequence is just gorgeous. I love the colors in this movie. I oh, think, God, yes. I think the editing is incredibly smooth. There's a lot of cyan and orange going on, which is, it's been very big for the past 20 years. You see it on posters everywhere. It's two very complementary colors, and so they're very attractive to the eye, and you can communicate something cold and dispassionate or sad along with something hot and action-packed at the same time. So we're going to get a lot of those two complementary colors. And the soundtrack is the same soundtrack to every Vietnam movie you've ever seen, but it's still great. Yep. It's, it totally works here. And I love that they do it mostly diegetically. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, there is this one particular soldier who has been wanting to go home very desperately and like at one point he's talking to his partner and he's just like you do got a bed right <laughs> like don't you want to go home to your bed you uh-huh. do have a bed right it's yes online they're they're a fun two guys to watch yeah so that's cole who's played by shay wiggum who kelsey the last thing we saw him in was perry mason he's his private eye partner oh really yeah uh-huh so that's cole and oh yeah yeah Mills. yeah I know I remember that now yeah, he's great. There's also Toby Kebble who is Jack Chapman. Uh, he's the one who has a wife and kid back at home, and so he writes to his son. That's the one where who the plays King Kong. Yes, he actually he's actually the one who plays King Kong. He's, he's in servant. He is in servant. Yes, he's the husband and servant. He's sort of the new Andy Circus. He plays Koba in the Planet of the Apes movies. Across from oh, the Andy Circus. Yes. Mm. And he plays Kong in this, whereas Andy Circus played Kong in the Jackson version. So it's just that he's a very good physical actor. Exactly, yes. And his character of Jack Chapman in this movie, he's gonna set up this sort of recurring joke throughout the movie because he writes to his son, Dear Billy. And people make fun of that. Not that fact that he's writing home to his son, but like, what are you going to write? You're at war. What are you going to write to your son about? Dear Billy, I saw this today, you know, and that's going to come up even if he's not in the scene. Dear Billy, I saw this crazy ass thing, you know. What you writing there, chap? Better to my boy. Dear Billy, I know I said I'd be home by your birthday, but I lied straight to your face. I'm a terrible dad. 
I hope this letter makes up for it. It's too short. <laughs> Dear Billy, you ever looked into a hurricane and decide, maybe I should fly straight through it? Because that's what's about to happen. Dear Billy, you might want to hang on. Dear Billy, this place is hell. And monsters exist. Under beds and signing paychecks. Dear Billy, Sometimes life just punch you in the balls. And later on, we're going to find that journal where he writes these letters to his son. And it's going to sort of like punctuate that line of jokes. It's like the sad punchline of all those jokes. Dear Billy, just trying to get home to you and your mom. Keep me strong now. Much love. Make sure those get back to his family. Yeah, Billy. Your dad was one of the best to ever do it. My biggest problem with the seismic bombs is that I wouldn't imagine that the scientist who actually wants to like look into the Earth would want would be willing to do that to the Earth, to the planet. Yeah, I don't know if he's like uh, ecologically minded or anything like that. I think he just wants to prove his point. But yeah, he's also kind of a non-character. Him and his sort of love interest son. Mm-hmm. Like, she's a nothing character, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they needed to be points of authority for future moments. Again, I don't know if they come back for the other movies. We haven't watched past this movie and the first Godzilla movie. So I don't know if they come back. But they are a point of authority at the end of the movie. But they have... Practically no function the entire movie. Corey Hawkins gets one sort of hero moment with the mounted gun on the boat. Mm-hmm. And that's like it. Mm-hmm. So as they're dropping these bombs, we get a shot of one of the military men. And he's looking out at the fire. And the fire, it it's in his... Sunglasses? Yeah. Didn't we just watch a movie where the girl puts on her sunglasses? Oh, Planet Terror. It reminded me of that. Yeah. So Kong, of course, gets very, very mad and starts defending his island and starts taking down these helicopters that all he understands about them is that they're destroying his his island. Yeah. He starts, uh, at first, he starts throwing entire tree trunks into the cockpits of these helicopters and taking him down. And then he starts swatting at them. He grabs one by the tail and the tail rotor cuts his hand up and he doesn't understand what happened. You know, all he knows is just, this is a threat. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely love when they're all just kind of sitting in the air, staring at him and you can hear all the different people on the, on the radio. Like, what the fuck is that? Is that a monkey? Oh my God. (laughs) uh All these people just trying to understand what they're even looking at. So up to this point, this was the tallest Kong ever. He's about a hundred feet tall. He's even bigger in Godzilla versus Kong because they say in here, John C. Riley tells them that he's he's, he's just young, he's an adolescent, and he's still growing. Kong's the last of his kind, but he's still growing. And you better hope he does. And he's so great. This is the best Kong. I love this. Oh Kong. yeah, it's awesome. There's no ice skating scene. In no, this there one. is not. <laughs> you know, Peter Jackson's is not terrible, but it certainly does have shitty moments in it. <laughs> 
But so Samuel Jackson is just watching this giant ape kill all these men that he's worked with for however long. Yeah. And he's just deciding right then and there, I'm going to fucking kill you. Yeah. But again, I think that's just an excuse. Uh-huh. So all the helicopters are downed uh, and they're split effectively into three groups. There's Toby Kebble, Jack Chapman, who's sort of on his own, but he has all the munitions. There's Samuel L. Jackson and most of the soldiers that are still alive. And then there's the scientists and Mason and Conrad all together. And so it's going to tell like all three of these stories separately until they end up meeting each other. The first group that we look at include Larson and Hiddleston and one of the military officers because he was the one flying the plane they were in. And Hiddleston is... Slivko. Yeah. The young guy, yeah. And Hiddleston is just like, we need to get to the North Shore. That's where they're going to be picking us up. We need to get there. We have three days, and if we're not there, we miss our window, and we might be stuck here for the rest of our lives. And I love Slivko's response. Wait a minute. We're just not going to talk about it? (laughs) You mean we're really not going to talk about it? (laughs) And Because everybody, like so many characters in this movie, are just of the opinion, like, what do you want me to say? Yeah. Yeah, it was fucked up. Is there any other, like, response you want from me? This Uh is our reality right now. Get over it. Yep. Mills and Cole pretty much have the same conversation. Yeah. uh And I think it's Cole who says, yes, it was an unconventional encounter. (laughs) Cole, what's wrong with you? How you even got an appetite right now? Eating for the living. We just got taken down by a monkey the size of a building. Yeah, that was an unconventional encounter. Is that really all your brain telling itself right now? There's no tactical precedence. We did the best we could in the situation. But again, what do you want me to do about it? Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> so, Samuel Jackson, very angry right now. Yeah, he pulls a gun on John Goodman and is like, you tell me what you haven't been telling me. You are going to tell me everything I don't know or I am going to kill you. Yeah. And so Goodman does. He explains, you know, there are hollow passageways in this world, and we believe that there are, I believe that there are monsters living in them because I've seen one, even though I'm not going to tell you what it was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now you've seen it. You know I'm right. Yeah. So. They are both kind of the same mind that it wouldn't be so bad if Kong was destroyed. That's the thing about John Goodman is he's super curious, like Corey Hawkins' character, He's super curious about that stuff. John Goodman couldn't care less about preserving the monsters or anything. He sees them as a potential threat that nobody's aware of. He is the old guy from Up. (laughs) What makes you say that? He wants to bring it back for proof. He doesn't care. He kills it. Oh, the old guy from Up. (laughs) Yeah, not Carl. Okay, got it. They called me a fraud, those... (sighs) But once I bring back this creature, my name will be cleared. Oh, I've spent a lifetime tracking it. He wants to bring it back for proof. That's what Goodman's main thing is. Uh He claims it's because, aren't we scared? Because it did kill, like, a bunch of people in his ship. Yeah. Well, we don't know that that's Kong. It wasn't Kong. Yeah. We don't know what it was, Uh because he never says what it was. Uh Uh-huh. 
Could have been Godzilla? The point, yes, I assume. But the point is, he claims, you know, we need to defeat these enemies before they attack us. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure you just are sick of being laughed at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not being taken seriously. And now you can say, I told you so to everyone who ever laughed at you. We do see a giant green water buffalo, and it is very pretty. Oh, it's gorgeous. We're going to see more than one. Yeah. And the military guy tries to kill it, and Hiddleston convinces him not to, and Larson takes a picture. It's that moment. Uh Uh-huh. Back to the military people. Mills and Cole are having yet another funny conversation where Cole explains that he believes... That the mouse kills the lion. Oh, yes. You heard of the lion and the story of the lion and the mouse, right? You ever heard the story of the mouse, the lion, and the thorn? Yeah. There you go, then. In case we ever see that primate again. You do know that story is about a mouse becoming friends with the lion after taking the thorn out of his paw, right? No, it's not. The mouse kills the lion with the thorn. Who told you that, Cole? My mother. That actually explains a lot. They see a terrifying creature that deserves to die. I don't care if it didn't mean to hurt them. Yeah, the spider whose legs look like bamboo. Yes. Oh, man. It kind of doesn't make sense because it's taller than all the bamboo. You think they would have seen it by then? It doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, but it is terrifying. They end up shooting it to pieces. They've been walking along with it and they haven't noticed its giant legs. Like they haven't felt them coming down on the ground Uh at all until it just happens to kill one of them. Uh Uh-huh. Stab her right through a dude. I was just like, yeah, you can kill that. I don't care. (laughs) Don't worry about preserving that one. (laughs) After they attack that, they... I think that's Hiddleston in them. Okay, because that's when they meet up with the natives. Yes, and this is when John C. Riley shows up, and John C. Riley really injects this movie with a lot of humor that it really needed. Levity, and also in a way that's like he brings heartwarming. Yes, he brings heart to the movie. Yes, not just the jokes. He is very funny because Samuel Jackson. Once he's seen Kong, he's no longer interesting in any way. Yes, Larson. As soon as she becomes the white female savior of the group uh-huh. is no longer interesting. Yep. Hiddleston is just this amazing tracker, so he's not all that interesting. So it really needed this character that brought lightheartedness and yeah. warmth to the story. What we find out is that he's been here ever since the 40s when he crashed. Uh, he and Gunpei ended up not killing each other after seeing Kong and living there for a very long time until Gunpei died. They became good friends so he is the signifier of war, huh, good God, y'all, what is it good for? That applies to man versus monster. He sees Kong as being ecologically important to this island and worthy of respect and life. That's why he sort of represents the heart of this movie, because that's really what the movie is getting at. It's very anti-war. Yeah, in fact, there's a fun little joke when he's taking them into where the natives live because, you know, it's getting dark out. We can't stay out here after night falls. As long as we're with the natives, then we'll be fine. He asks them, did we win the war? And they're like, which "Which one? one? And he goes, that figures. (laughs) (laughs) 
we get a fun scene of the guy who plays King Kong seeing King Kong kill and eat a giant squid. <laughs> yes, King Kong does. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. While the guy who plays him is watching in awe. Uh-huh. That was a fun scene. But so we find out from John C. Riley. So basically, he finds out that Kong originally terrified them, but once the skull crawlers came about, Kong started Kong and his whole family started saving them from these skull crawlers. There's no explanation for why there is a family of these things, where they came from, how this island could support an ecosystem of apes of that size. No explanation. Not important. If we get into that, we'll talk ourselves out of liking the movie. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but so he's explaining, you know, King Kong is actually pretty great because he protects us from these other dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. And as long as we don't mess with him, he doesn't give a shit about us. Uh-huh. But unfortunately, he is the last one because the biggest skull crawler killed all the rest of them. Which we don't normally see. Which also doesn't make any damn sense. How could he kill the rest of Kong's family, but not Kong, if Kong is right. still a How baby? Right, how did Kong survive? Hey, you know what? This is fertile ground for comic books, novelizations, YouTube miniseries. You can do a lot with this. But so they explained to him... We're getting off this island. You can come with us. We just need to be on the North Shore in three days. And he's like, you can't get there in three days. Not unless you take a boat. I'm on a boat and I'm, I'm going, going fast, fast and, and I got a nautical theme Pashmina Afghan. <laughs> Meanwhile, Samuel Jackson is being a dick and shooting at creatures. Yep. Doesn't give a shit about anything, just there wants to kill There are these pterodactyl the bird-like things that he fires on that eat somebody. Yes, but because <laughs> Tear he- Tear somebody apart. Because yeah. he scared them. Mm-hmm. He shot one of them who was sitting on an island with a tree. They found out those weren't leaves on the tree. They were a bunch more of those things, mm-hmm. which is a cool moment. But yeah, so John C. Riley's boat is called the Gray Fox. Does this thing even float? Me and Gunpei spent six years of our lives building this thing. She's called the Gray Fox. And she floats. Brie Larson has a stupid montage where she's taking pictures of the natives and gets them to give peace signs. Yeah. <laughs> like, she really just becomes just this ridiculous, I'm all about peace, uh-huh. man. We're not colonists. We're here in love. <laughs> yeah, it's... See, they like me. That means I'm okay to be here. She does a lot of looking off into the distance Uh with some really bad lighting effects that shine off her skin. Like, it just, it's way over the top. Uh And this is not, like, to say that I don't normally like Brie Larson. Uh, I really like Room. Yeah. I don't think, I I didn't like Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel Marvel was just okay. Mm. But yeah, there's just a lot of her looking off into the distance. She has a moment with Kong. So that's like what this is all leading to. She's supposed to be the sweet person of nature. And that's why her and Kong have this moment. Uh, Because, you know, in the original King Kong, you could argue that Kong kind of falls in love with her. But it's more just that he sees her as his thing, as his play toy. Whereas in the Peter Jackson version, it's definitely love. It's a love story, yes. And so this one kind of puts the two together a little bit. A little bit. He sees her as something worth protecting. Because she tries to save... A water buffalo. 
She comes across water buffalo uh, that's under a giant helicopter, and she seems to think that she can push it yes, off of it. Yes, she tries to lift it off, but then King Kong does, and he sees that she was trying to help it, and so he has a new respect for her. Yes. It's just, it's all these things working together instead of invading on each other, whereas the military and the skull crawlers are the same. They're trying to invade upon other domains. And that's something that Jordan Vogt Roberts said. He invoked Princess Mononoke as being a big influence on this, where, you know, there are these different beings, creatures, gods type things that have dominion over certain areas and keeping that balance intact is important. That's kind of the message that he's trying to deliver here as well. That night, the guy who plays King Kong will be killed by the giant skull crawler. The giant one or just one of them? I think it's supposed I to be don't the giant remember. one because he's the one that later John C. Riley says, that's the big one. He's the one who coughs up the dog tags. Oh, yeah. I think. I don't know. I don't remember if the big one was in that scene or not, or if it was just the normal ones. You don't get a sense for why the big one is really that big. <laughs> really? They all seem massive. You never see the big one and the smaller ones really together to see a comparison. So it's a little bit more abstract. You know that there is like a mama skull crawler. Mm-hmm. John Goodman tries to convince Samuel L. Jackson that this mission is folly. I understand trying to save your men, but trying to kill King Kong just seems stupid. Yeah. We should go back and get the cavalry. And he says, I am the cavalry. Yeah, and John C. Riley still has this sort of Oh, this is before loyalty. They, they've met up with them yet. Yeah, but they will meet up with them. Mm-hmm. Um, he has this sort of loyalty to the military, you know? He's still a military man, and he recognizes that Jackson outranks him. And even though he disagrees with him, he goes along with him for a while until he just can't anymore in good conscience. But you're right, that's later. But Samuel Jackson says, I know an enemy when I see it, and mm-hmm. I'm going to kill that thing. The other group is on John C. Riley's boat, and everything seems great. And there's been this one scientist this whole time who, like, didn't want to go on the island, and then he did, and, like, has been super nervous about things, but has been okay. And he just gets eaten right yeah. here. Just, Victor no, not Nieves. eaten. Torn apart. Torn apart, yep. Oh, we didn't mention them. Yeah, there are a bunch of scientists from other organizations that are hoping to glean some information, who still haven't been told everything. Uh, This includes Mark Evan Jackson, by the way, who is Kevin Cosner and Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the captain's husband. Look, Raymond, a yellow-crested warbler. Oh, yes, and he's a dick, and he dies. Well, he goes with the military. Yes. He's like, oh, I want to be a manly man. But he dies. Yeah, exactly, and that's just telling you that, like, the posturing will get you hurt. You know what I mean? Like... Don't try to posture. Don't try to show off how masculine you are. If that's why you're being militaristic, you're it's just going to lead to your death or the deaths of others. So fucking knock that off, people. Like I said, this movie is, or at least can be interpreted as extremely anti-war. Oh, totally. What do you think Brie Larson is here for? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, the Hiddleston group finally meets up with the Samuel L. Jackson group. They take the boat further up the river, they get radio communication, they see the flare that's thrown up, and then they hike on foot and they leave some of them behind on the boat to meet up with Samuel L. Jackson's group. And they do. 
Yeah, and John C. Riley is, of course, against going out further into it, like saying, we just need to get to the North Shore. Let's just do that. But of course, Samuel Jackson won't. And like Chris said, John C. Riley feels that his duty is to follow rank, so he does. Yeah. And they're walking into like this kind of like deserty area. Yeah. And Samuel Jackson's stated purpose is to save Chapman. It's to save Chapman, yes. We know that Chapman's dead by this point, but they don't. Oh, Jackson knows, and his people know. They came to Chapman's campground. I think they come across here or something. And found blood. Yeah. And didn't tell anybody that they found blood. Yeah. They found the journal. Samuel Jackson's response is, well, that could be anything, right? Uh It doesn't mean that he's dead, which I guess you could still argue. But Hiddleston here will see one of the school crawlers cough up the dog tags of Chapman. So when he presents that to Samuel Jackson, he's like, look, dude, this guy's already dead. Let's just turn around and go home. Samuel Jackson is like, nope. Nope. He had our ammunition, and we're going to use it to kill Kong. Mm-hmm. There is a part where I think this is when they're still fighting against the skull crawlers in that deserty area. At one point, John C. Riley has a fun line. He's got. It, you said it's not a katana. It's too short to be a katana. I think it's a wakazashi, which is big. You know how when you see a katana display, there's like three swords of varying length. Mm-hmm. The katana is the long one. The wakazashi is like it's the it's the one that soldiers actually carried on them. So that belonged to Gunpei. And he holds it like Gunpei would have. And he says, death before dishonor. So, I mean, that really shows you a lot into his character. You know, like, he's not going to go against Samuel Jackson because his duty tells him that that's wrong. Yeah. But I love when they're fighting against these skull crawlers. And Samuel Jackson says to one of the guys, bring your torch, do the thing. Yeah. <laughs> to set one of them on fire. Uh-huh. There's, it ends up blowing up the gas, all this fire, and yeah. There is a fun sequence where they throw all this gas, and the screen pretty much turns green. And at one point, Hiddleston will grab a gas mask, and I think he grabs the whatever you just He grabs it. the wakazashi from John C. Riley, And he's tearing through... The g- green gas, and he's killing all of these skull crawlers. No, it's the it's the bird things that he's killing. The bird animals, yeah. whatever. And it's a very fun scene, and it's very well shot. And it is totally unnecessary and very obviously set up for this is his hero moment and wouldn't make any sense in the actual moment. Because two seconds later, Brie, L- Brie Larson, who is certainly not wearing a gas mask... Just went through the entire same area. That yeah, he did? uh-huh. And like then he takes the gas nothing? mask off, and then it's yeah, uh-huh. I guess it's supposed she to have dispersed by she, then. She didn't have a weapon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She didn't have a gas mask. It's and she just just for a hero <laughs> moment so we can see it sucks. Hiddleston. It be ruins cool. it ruins that comic book moment they were going for. Yeah. It was cool, and then you ruined it. Yeah, you just made him look like a, oh, give me the sword so I can do the cool thing. Like, for anybody out there who's ever played D&D, you know that there are people in your groups. There's always that one person who wants to do the cool thing. Oh, give me the idol or give me the thing. I'm going to do the cool action moment and I'm going to be the cool one. And it's like they always want to do that. And they can't ever just tell a more realistic, understated story. 
<laughs> it's very much like that. He's like, give me that. So I know you're actively killing things, but I'm the hero in this story. So give me the sword. Mm -hmm. Like it's that moment. And then to find out at the very end that like, why were you even doing this? <laughs> it makes it even worse. Yes. But it is a cool action moment. So Samuel Jackson, once he's confronted with the fact that Chapman is dead, you know, says, I'm still going to keep going. And Hiddleston convinces him to at least let him take the quote unquote civilians back. He, he buys into that whole military thing. Like, aren't we supposed to be protecting these people? Yeah. These are civilians. I should get them back to the North Shore. Yeah. And that Samuel Jackson agrees to that. And I wrote down here, I really like this movie. It is just too long. It's longer than it needs to be. There are long sequences that are unnecessary. It's just shy of two hours long. Yeah. And I don't think it needs to be. I think it could be an hour and... 35 to 40 minutes. It's funny you say that because there are things that are missing here that I'm like, oh, I wish I had seen that, but I see it's unnecessary. It feels like there are holes in the movie. And that's because apparently the original cut was over three hours long and they cut it down to two hours. Yes. There's too many stories going on in yeah, this movie. Uh -huh. There's too many threads and I enjoy all of them. Especially for a movie with no character development. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. The parts where it's just Samuel Jackson really drag. Because as much as I love Jackson, his lack of character development and just me want to kill ape yeah. is not very interesting. Yeah. There's a fun scene where they're with John C. Riley. I think this is at the point where they've diverged. And I guess John C. Riley decided to go with Hiddleston. Yeah, he's the one who draws his sword on Samuel L. Jackson, mm -hmm. and then Hiddleston pulls his gun, and then I think I think Slivko actually turns his gun away from the civilians and on Jackson as well. Which is why everybody else decides to put their guns down. And then Jackson's like, fine, go ahead. I'm going to kill this fucking thing. But... So, yeah, there's a fun part where they're walking and John C. Riley says, you hear that? There's giant ants up there. <laughs> what? I don't know if he's talking about the spider again. No, I what? no, I think he's just saying that they're yeah. like, I think he's just making up another yeah. creature. It sounds like a bird, but it's not. It's an <laughs> ant. Keep your eyes open. Up in the trees, too. Why? Ants. Big ones. There's one. Sounds like a bird, but it's a fucking ant. That was apparently ad-libbed, yes. There's a moment where Brie Larson, again, has a touching moment with Kong. Yep. And she touches his nose. Uh-huh. But then there's explosions, so Kong has to go take care of those explosions. Which is when Hiddleston's like, I'm gonna go save Kong. And John C. Reilly is like, me too. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. So they come up on Samuel Jackson going after Kong and fucking Brie Larson and it says, the world is bigger than this. Yeah. And I love Samuel Jackson. Bitch, please. <laughs> Stop. The world is bigger than this. Bitch, please. A character I don't even like putting uh -huh. her in her fucking place felt good yeah. in this moment. As Kong leaves to go investigate what the explosions are, 
the good guys in the group decide that they need to save him because they know what Samuel L. Jackson is trying to pull here. And when they show up at this lake, or at least Kong does, Jackson and his men like napalm him or something and knock him out. He gets knocked out and he's laying there on his side. He might be dead. And this is where there's that argument about he wants to kill Kong right then and there. And Weaver, Brie Larson, you know, there's that argument. It's right there. This is the moment when the giant skull crawler does appear. And that's when John C. Riley says that's the big one. And Jackson is ready to blow up his charges right then and there and kill Kong. This is my opportunity when Kong wakes up, realizing that the skull crawler is there and just slams his fist right down on Samuel L. Jackson, killing him right then and there in that moment. And that's when the fight with the giant skull crawler starts. Cole tries to sacrifice himself. Yeah, as everyone's getting back to safety. To kill the skull crawler. Uh-huh. But that ends up being pointless. He pulls the pins on his grenades and walks up. He's sort of a Samuel L. Jackson light. Like, the military is his life as well. He's, you know, we, we everything we've learned about him is that he's a cold, hard soldier. Uh, he's not as villainous. He's not a villain at all. Uh, but he still has that same life, and it's going to get him killed. He tries to sacrifice himself by getting himself eaten by the skull crawler with all these grenades with the pins pulled. And as soon as the skull crawler gets up to him, it spins around and knocks him with his tail into a wall where it explodes. And he just dies in an explosion, totally ineffectual. So there's this big epic showdown between Kong and the skull crawler. But it doesn't matter because the humans end up saving Kong anyway. <laughs> yeah, Brie Larson falls into the water. He scoops her up to save her. The skull crawler gets into the fight again. So there's another moment where he has her in his hand and has to fight a monster. Just like in like all of them. At Normally point, the T-Rex. At one point, Hiddleston like gets the skull crawler to go after him. And it's like, why would the skull crawler go after him yeah. when the real threat is Kong? Right. It's dumb. And it was a big opportunity for them to do the broken jaw. Yeah, which you mentioned earlier. But uh -huh. they didn't do it. But yeah, Kong saves her. It's very cute. Yeah. And then he kind of goes off and lets these humans that are left over well, leave. Well, Skullcrawler skull tries to eat Brie Larson. And that is when Kong rips out his tongue. Oh, yeah. So Great. We don't mention that the boat that was there since before John C. Riley was there... He he gets his he gets his body wrapped up in the, all the chains from the boat. When he sees that Brie Larson is in danger, he rips himself free, and now he has one of the propellers of this boat wrapped around his arm, like he's Kratos, the god of war, <laughs> and just starts spinning it around like a weapon at this thing. And yeah, he ends up plunging his fist right down the skull crawler's throat, grabbing onto his esophagus or stomach or whatever and just ripping all of his insides right out through the mouth. It's great. Yeah. And then it seems very much like, get off my island. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to kill you, leaves. <laughs> but leave. And yeah, he just sort of walks away like, come to my house. <laughs> and so everyone is allowed to go home. Sort of. We see Kong just walking. He roars and beats his chest. Yeah, uh-huh.
Chauncey Riley gets to go home and sees his son and his wife. His son, by the way, who also is the same guy who played the young version of him in the beginning. Oh, really? Same actor. Yeah, uh-huh. That makes sense. But Hiddleston and Larson are being detained. And they're not being told what for. It's a very snarky moment, just like it's a Marvel movie or something. Very much. In come in Corey Hawkins and Tian Jing, who are like, hey, we work for Monarch, and we want to tell you about all these other monsters that we've heard about. I guess you, the photographer, who King Kong liked and thus spared, you now are going to be helping us with these big monsters? But they show cave drawings and things She's like that. and one with the earth, yeah. Chris. <laughs> but they show cave drawings and things like that of a bunch of Godzilla monsters. So there's Godzilla, there's Mothra, there's but Rodan. But they're not even in Godzilla! There's Ghidorah. They are in King of the Monsters, though, which is the second one. Oh. Yeah. They all are? Yeah. I think all of them are. Oh! There's, a, there's like three different monsters in King of the Monsters. In addition the monsters, to Godzilla. I mean the actors. Oh, yeah. They don't play a part in any of the rest of the movies. Yeah, that sucks. Uh-huh. That's stupid. So that is Kong Skull Island. Kelsey, do you have anything else you want to say? I really liked it. Yeah. Like it's, we said, you can't take it too seriously. Yeah, it's a little silly. Yeah. It's a little cheesy. Uh-huh. But I, I think it's gorgeous. I think it's very well edited. Fun soundtrack. Kong is great. He's a great Kong. Yeah. John C. Riley is so good, and he's such a wonderful light to the film. Yeah. Really. And you know what? I enjoyed John Goodman and the guy who played Dr. Dre. Even though they're barely in the film, I really enjoyed the characters that they created. Yeah, I just wish we got more of them. We learned more about them. They developed a little bit more something. Mm Mm-hmm. I also want to point out that there there are a couple of different what I'm calling FPS POVs. So there are a bunch of first person perspectives in the movie, but including ones where there are people firing guns like it's a first person shooter or an FPS. Apparently, Jordan Vogt Roberts said, yeah, no, it's because I grew up playing video games. I wanted to include something like that. But have you not seen Doom? Do you remember the Doom with the rock? Nope. They tried to do those segments because Doom is a first-person shooter, so they put FPS moments, and it always looks terrible. It never looks good. Show me a good, specifically FPS POV, and I will be uh, baffled. I thought it looked terrible. I thought it looked good. Especially knowing what an FPS game actually looks like. And what are you trying to communicate with that camera angle? You're just trying to evoke FPSs, but like the whole point of an FPS is to be that person. I'm not that character. Are you trying to make me feel like that character? Because I get two seconds of, a, of one moment. Like, I don't know. I don't like it at all. It's not to say that first person perspectives themselves are bad. I think there's a lot you can do with those. But all the ones where you, you see a gun firing at somebody or something or whatever from somebody's perspective always looks terrible because invariably the gun CG. And it's waving around in all sorts of different directions, and it just doesn't feel like an FPS. But hated it, hated it, hated it. (laughs) Apparently, John Goodman's vest is a nod to Carl Denham's outfit in the first King Kong. Anyway, Kelsey, what do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? Mm, 79. Very close. It has a 75 
Offering exhilarating eye candy, solid acting, and a fast-paced story, Kong Skull Island earns its spot in the movie Monsters Mythos without ever matching up to the classic original. <laughs> Metacritic of 62, cinema score of B+. I probably would have given it a B plus coming out of there. That's what I'm going to give it right now. What are you going to give it? I'm going to give it an 87. 87? Nice. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, I'll give it an 85. It is. It's a lot of fun that you're not supposed to take seriously. Not at all. It's just supposed to be an action it's adventure. It's an adventure movie. But, you know, big monsters equal horror. That bamboo scene? It's mm-hmm. fucked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Giant monsters trying to eat you. It's a horror movie. Yes. Just with an adventure twist. Yes. All right. That is it for our King Kong double feature this week. The late night double feature. Show. What are we watching next week, Kelsey? It's a recommendation week. Is it? Yes. But I'm very excited because it's been on, it's one of my favorites. Uh huh. We're going to be watching The Faculty. Oh my God. I love The Faculty. Yes. I have seen that movie so many times. I, I could, it's like, it's like Interview with a Vampire. I could talk about it right now. Uh huh. You haven't seen that in the past 10 years, probably, right? Did you watch it? One day when I was at work or something? No, but, I mean, it is a movie I watched a lot Yeah, uh-huh. in middle school and high school. Uh-huh. It, I don't know if it was just always on HBO or I don't know what, but I watched it a lot. Okay, I'm really excited for it. I haven't seen it probably since... Jesus. It's- like, I could literally take you through the plot right now. I can see the whole movie in my head. <laughs> It's probably been at least 15 years since I've seen this movie. But what are we pairing it with? This, I mean, this this was a recommendation. It's going to be with the movie Cooties, which we have not seen. We have not. But it's another one with uh, Elijah Wood. Uh-huh. It's so it's also an Elijah Wood weekend. It takes place within a school. Yeah, where all the kids become like zombies or rage virus or something like that, right? So thank you, Jeffrey, for recommending these two movies. Yes, thank you, Jeffrey. Yeah, uh, I'm excited to finally see Cooties, and it'll be nice to see the faculty again. I know Kelsey's really excited for that. Yep. Josh Hartnett! (laughs) Gorgeous man. Just fucking gorgeous. He really is. What can you do? Can't do anything. (laughs) And it's... And the mom from Servant is in this one, so we're getting both parents and Servant in a matter of two weeks. Yeah, you probably know her more from either Six Feet Under or Can't Hardly Can't Wait. Hardly Wait. That is next week. Until then, you can always find us on our website, podcemetery.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at podcemetery. We post a lot of stuff up there, so be sure to pay attention to that, at podcemetery. Don't forget to subscribe in your podcatcher of choice. A rate and a review there will help us out quite a bit. A five-star written review helps out even more. Even better than that is sharing us with your friends. And even better than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? I suppose no man comes home from war. Not really. (laughs) 
brother and the godfather who dies in the first one sunny sunny thank you the clue was the hot-headed corleone and the godfather it's the adrenaline the anger makes him even even angrier <laughs> probably stronger you make my dreams come true ooh, 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 ooh. john goodman could care less about preserving the monsters or studying them. He sees them as a... Thank you.